Today, we're breaking down one of the best scenes in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. The reveal of Olivia, you know. Stay tuned. Day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about animation and storytelling and getting into storytelling in animation. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And today we are doing a breakdown. This is where we English major the crap out of something very specific. Today we've chosen one of our favorites, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Specifically, taking apart the live scene. If you've seen it, you know what we're talking about. If you haven't seen it, please don't listen to this yet. Go and watch it, and then come back and listen to this. Also, it's getting on two years old. Like, the boat has not sailed yet, but you got to get on it. I, I know that there are probably some of you who are a little bit like me, who are like, you know... That thing's popular, and I don't really trust it. I don't really trust. I've been burnt too many times by things that are supposedly popular, and I'm not going to watch it just because everyone else is watching it. Um, watch it. Just do yourself a favor. Watch it if you haven't. It's just one of the best films ever made, period. Not animated, not Spider-Man, just best films. And it's getting a sequel. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That is coming 2022. So you still got some time. Uh, I don't know if they've <laughs> delayed it again with uh, the year of 2020 being a, a blip or not. Um, so hopefully 2022 at the earliest. We'll put it that way. <laughs> <clears throat> so, Mackenzie, you wanted specifically to talk about this scene for about Liv. Can you tell me a little bit about what this scene means to you and what this scene might mean before we dig into it? Sure. So Into the Spider-Verse, um, I definitely saw the first trailer. I was like, okay, fine, I'll go see it. Um, I wasn't that <laughs> super excited about it. And when the movie started immediately, I was like, oh my God, yes, I'm ready. Give it to me. Um and it's one of the most thrilling experiences that I've ever had in a movie theater. It was just such a great movie. Um, and thinking about this film again and again after I've seen it, and I've seen it at least three times now, maybe four. I think after the first night that I watched it, like I kept thinking about the whole the live scene. When they're in the Hudson Valley, kind of from when they get to the Hudson Valley until when they leave the Hudson Valley with the autumn leaves and the... Um, Acromax, whatever the name of the chemical plant is. I forget the name of the fake company in it. <laughs> but then, the fake company. Uh, all that. I kept thinking about that scene. There's a lot that's valuable and worth breaking down in this movie and how they do it from an animation standpoint to a storytelling standpoint to just a pop culture standpoint and what those things mean. Um, and there are moments that I think are really strong and stick in my mind, like Uncle Aaron putting down Miles and backing away right before he's, again, spoilers, because this whole thing is a spoiler, right before he's shot. Um, I think that's a very powerful moment. Um, but I think everything for like 15 minutes in this live scene is just perfect. There's not a thing I would change. They do so many things that are beyond anything I would have thought of that are good and great and satisfying and everything is operating on multiple levels all the time. And it is original in a way that is surprising, but also not surprising at the same time. Hmm. It fulfills, it fulfills expectations and subverts them sometimes within the same moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, it's 
I think all the marketing around this movie was so brilliant. It didn't give you too much of the story. Um, and definitely there were moments in this scene where I was like ready to jump up at the movie theater and shout like, yes! Uh, it was just <laughs> such well done storytelling. Um, and it's still a thrill to rewatch even for the third or fourth time and take notes for this episode of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I in fact sat down and was like, I can rewatch just this scene or I can just rewatch the whole movie because I love it. So I rewatched the whole movie. <laughs> oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. Well, I went a little bit differently. I, I found live moments throughout. I found her first, first appearance and then went through. So I wanted to track how they're playing with what this scene's about and what this, how the scene fits in the overarching narrative, but also in how it makes it a satisfying revelation. So I, was, so I did a little bit differently than, than you. I, was, I think uh, my son Jack was a little bit upset that I didn't continue with the movie, <laughs> that I just stopped. Um, with He's like, well, why didn't you just go back? I'm like, no, no, I'm, just, I'm doing something. And then he left angry. Uh, and then later on in the evening, my wife got annoyed because I would play for a couple seconds, pause, play for a couple seconds, pause, play for a couple seconds, pause, rewind, pause. It was it was really digging in. <laughs> it's the burden of being a podcaster. Yes, yes. We we live we have a hard life. <laughs> <laughs> So for those of us playing the Writers Get Animated home game, uh, you want to get your Spider-Verse, your copy of Spider-Verse that we know you own, or it's on Netflix, I believe, still, and get to minute 45 and 37 seconds and watch the next, it's approximately nine minutes of this live scene. And we're, we're going to get into this and how it operates, what they use, and how the story is told. But before that, we have some stuff to set this up. Yeah, because we don't meet Liv for the first time in this scene. We already know of her existence in the world. Yes. We start to see Liv at minute seven, right around seven minutes, 20 seconds, uh, where she is in documentary footage. Um, and... It's Miles at school. He's just had a really rough day. We just get this really intense, beautiful scene about how hard his first day at school is. Uh, and just one class, next class, next class, next class, shot of the clock, back and forth, rush. And then he gets into this dark classroom and there's this giant face of this woman talking over him. And... He covers up, we get to see the doctor's name, you know, in the lower third title of, of the documentary. We see Olivia and Miles is standing in front of her last name, which is so clever to do. Like, it's right there. But also from a storytelling standpoint, like at this point, you as a viewer go like, okay, there's this doctor. She's not a character seen as a documentary, so you're aware that she exists, but you have no reason to pay attention to this otherwise and like really analyze why is the last name hidden. It won't even register as a thing that is hidden to you as a viewer seeing it for the first time. Right. I, I didn't even remember that she was really in the movie until <laughs> during that moment. You know, I've seen it a few times and it wasn't until recently that I was like, wait a minute, her last name's hidden. <laughs> like they, they did it. They did it right there. Um, and the whole scene sets up. She says, there could be other possibilities. There could be a version of myself that wears leather pants in another universe. She's just getting this whole concept of there are other universes and there are other versions of you that could be out there. And, and so, so from, from the scene, just this little introductory bit in the documentary, what are your takeaways of her as a character? Um, 
for our Columbus listeners. She lives in, she would live in Clintonville. She's really, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, (laughs) she's really crunchy. Um, Granola-y, like big hair. You, she, she feels like somebody who's earthy. Um, She feels more like a, for our animation comic book listeners, she feels more like a Pamela Isley, you know, before she transforms into Poison Ivy kind of feeling that we get from her. Just big hair, natural, but cool enough to have purple dyed hair, you know, in there. But she's letting her hair just go. She has no time to really take care of the hair. I I loved her look and her voice because immediately it sounds like, ah, yes, that is a real university science professor and how they exist in the real world. And not Mm -hmm. like this comic book, like tight ponytail, like really put together organized person because most science university professors for better or for worse are not like that. Um, (laughs) And so I I guess for me, it was like, ah, yes, a real professor at last, what we need in these movies. Yeah, I would... (laughs) I would agree with that, definitely. Is there anything else that you got from that little nugget of introduction that we forget about? It was just nice to know that she had essentially street cred in the science world in Mm. this world of Spider-Verse. She's not just a a random scientist you meet later. Like She is known and has theories that are respected enough to be taught in a magnet high school. and she is, like, if this world has, like, a Werner Herzog, like, those documentarians know her. Like, she's their go-to, like, science channel expert on parallel dimensions for whatever crazy show they're doing. <laughs> but it's also that even the students are really not interested in her. So it's just this really boring thing. You know, no one is second guessing that she would exist in this documentary of, oh my gosh, she's this person that we should pay attention to. Everyone is just half asleep. It's just a terrible, boring documentary that you'd be forced to watch as a student. So everything about the scene is telling you not to pay attention to her. Mm -hmm. But also that she's important, which is strange. It's like telling you two things at once. Yeah, for your second viewing, she's important. (laughs) Yeah, 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 sure. I mean, there are clues that she's important. I mean, the size of the screen, the fact that she's there behind Miles. I mean, she, the fact that she's explaining the whole possibility of parallel universes. And if at least you've watched the trailer, you sort of know what this movie's about. So you see that she's a important figure possibly in some way you, but you don't see a connection yet mm-hmm. so and what else go ahead i was gonna say we don't really see her again until later you're right much later much much, yeah. much later as we said the 45 minute mark <laughs> that's <laughs> when we start that's not even when we see her that's where we start this sequence of nine minutes of getting the information from the lab. Um, and before this, you could say that it sort of starts, kind of, sort of, in the scene of two Spider-Men chatting at the diner together. We get Peter B. Parker and Miles at a restaurant talking through what's going on and his life and what's going to happen. And then they go off to the Hudson Valley and subvert certain expectations of Miles, what it means to be Spider-Man and our, um, our expectations of who Peter Parker is at the same time. That's true. Well, a lot of the first half of this movie is just really a tango with your expectations of what's going to happen and who these characters are. And also, 
we have a Peter Parker that is both heroic and the Spider-Man we know, but also down on his luck and sorry and sourful in a way that we've never seen Peter Parker. Um, because he's, it's almost like romantic comedy depressed Peter Parker and not like a dark and gritty Peter Parker mm-hmm. that you would that you would get if it were a DC movie. So he's a little chubby, gained a few pounds, paunchy, you know. It's everyone's quarantine mood. Yeah, he's quarantine Spider-Man. Like he would definitely, <laughs> this would be his time to shine. You took me out of the year 2020. (laughs) So what do we get in the very, when this whole thing starts, when we're finally in the Hudson Valley, where Miles thinks he's going to web sling all the way there and they take a bus um, because it's like, what are you going to, what are you talking about? Web swing. Like, we're not going to get there on the bus. And they arrive and they start making the plan. What are we, what are we getting what clues? What do we see? Well, we get this great like heist set up to what the scene is going to be, which is wonderful because you have like already here are the steps that we're going to go through. And some of these are realistic. Some of these are grab a bagel. Uh, and some of these are already <laughs> incorrect in the time of planning uh, with the, I forget the exact line, but step three, I'm going to find the scientist and Miles immediately corrects him, like, actually, I saw this documentary at school, and it's Dr. Olivia. She's the scientist you need to talk to. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great because it gives you the answer to what you're going to have to do as an audience right at that moment in the plan. <laughs> in step two of the plan, he says, I find the head scientist, and we see a man with a bowl cut and glasses sitting at a computer and the Spider-Man in the vision uh, is looking at him until, this is the one thing I love, Miles corrects and says, she's there and he, the question marks come out of the Spider-Man's head and he looks over at the, the female doctor. It's like, no, actually, actually that's her. It's like, oh. And then he says, step three, I re-examine my personal biases. <laughs> and it's just such a lovely throwaway. But also, yeah, we're going to, we all have biases about what's going to be happening. So we're, we're bringing, we, they give us what we're expecting and also show, oh, but it's going to be subverted. Yeah, Here it you sets go. you up as an audience member to like not have nerd rage on the internet later about it. <laughs> like we said, it was going to happen. It's right there. You need to re-examine your personal biases. <laughs> and then, as you said, we get the bagel step. And then step seven, uh, Miles says, what's my job? And Peter says, step seven, you stay here. You're the lookout. Very important job. Like, that's it. That's what we're, you're not even being a part of this. Yeah. Step one, I infiltrate the lab. Two, find the head scientist computer. That lady with the bike is the head scientist. I saw her in this documentary at school. Cool. Step three, I re-examine my personal biases. Step four, I hack the computer. It's not technically hacking. It's kind of... Hold on, I just lost my train of thought. Step five, download the important stuff. I'll know it when I see it. Step six, I grab a bagel from the cafeteria and run. So what am I doing? Uh, step seven, you stay here. Your lookout, very important. Look, man, you gotta teach me how to do Spider-Man stuff, or I'm not gonna be able to help. Alright. Watch and learn, kid. I'll quiz you later. And this this plan really gives you everything this team does in so many ways. Because ultimately this whole scene is the first lesson for Miles of how to be Spider-Man, which you are set up at the beginning of step seven to not expect. Like, kid, it's not gonna happen right now. And kind of the end of the scene is ultimately like, hey, we're doing this together. It's our first lesson. It also gives you, they're going to find the scientist and re-examine our our personal biases. um, (laughs) Telling you almost verbatim there's going to be a twist reveal. (laughs) And we still don't see it coming. It's magic. 
Uh, Also, it starts the runner gag of the bagel, adding the humor runner to the scene that happens. There's two more bagel moments to like keep the scene lighthearted on top of all the other lighthearted Spider-Verse stuff that they're already doing. Like it gives you a joke to track throughout this too. And it also tracks the idea of who is the real Spider-Man and what does it mean to be Spider-Man? Like that's always the question being asked because when it starts off before the plan, uh, we have the idea of we're going to be following in Peter's footsteps. So they're already like, we need to recreate what Peter Parker did to get this. And so Peter B. Parker sits there and says, what would I do if I were me? <laughs> That's like, what would I do if I were me? To f-? And he puts his hand up to his chin and Miles stares at him. And then slowly his, he puts his hand up to his chin like, I'm Spider-Man in this universe. Let me... Let me think, and let's be Spider-Man together. And of course, they would think in the style of a comic book as well, because that's how we experience Spider-Man. So let's see how it would play out if Spider-Man were doing this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a whole other like. We don't have to dig into that in this episode, but the whole other like design choices and style of this movie with the comic oh. book coming in when he gets his superpowers is fantastic and really it's like anything superpower related gets the comic book visualization or if he's being asked to be spider-man and take action Mm -hmm. because and also the self-doubt where he's at war with his responsibility because spoilers that's what spider-man's about his responsibility (laughs) i don't know if you knew this fellow Spider-Man fans, but Spider-Man's about (laughs) taking responsibility, sometimes great amounts of it. Um, Ah, this movie's so great. It's all right there. It's it's right there. And the the lovely part about it is, so we, we start the plan, and then a minute later, the plan just breaks. It blows up. It's over. Like, the plan just is, we're done. Um, because the kingpin arrives and Miles is forced to take action. And as we said, because he has to take responsibility, we get the, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? In speech bubbles. What am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? And he has to go. Um, and it's an interesting tonal shift from what we just experienced to what's taking place now. It's, it becomes a feeling of a different movie. We have nice, warm, beautiful fall, autumn, autumnal colors outside, oranges and reds, and the comic book colors. The moment the kingpin arrives, suddenly everything goes darker, sterile, and uh, once Miles gets into the air vent to follow Peter, it starts getting this lovely green hue, Mm -hmm. which is another hint about who's coming. (laughs) But it feels you start getting, as an audience member, you start getting that tonal shift of, okay, now we're in a spy movie, and now it's getting intense, and we can't be seen. And you start being aware of every sound and everything that's happening. I love the little, like, observed conversation they have when they're in the air vents. I mean, it's such, it's a spy movie trope of like they're eavesdropping on the conversation that Kingpin and Liv are having. In addition to like the actual like pure stake stuff they have to get there, we get so many little character details at the same time. I love, 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 love. That when they're looking down at the conversation, like the first thing you see is Liv sitting down at her computer on this medicine ball <laughs> instead of an actual desk chair. <laughs> this tells you everything about who she is. She cares about posture. She wants to stay fit. She's a little like crunchy granola, doesn't want to have a real chair at her supervillain desk job. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think for me, like in addition to like how 
tightly written this entire sequence is. It's all the little, the character details we get in this. It's not just Liv saying who she is. It's how we are shown who she is, not just told who she is. Uh, skipping ahead a bit, but definitely when Miles opens up the computer and you see her desktop with about a million and a half files <laughs> scrambled all over the desktop. You as an audience member goes, well, that tracks with how she dresses. Like, you just, like you that's know, who she everyone is. knows. That person, yes, that person would have that desktop of files. <laughs> yes. Searches her friend. She doesn't have her own organization. She has no time for that. Right. I don't have time to put this in place. I'm trying to open a trans-dimensional portal. Like, that's... Who has time to put files... Oh, wait, what am I going to call this? Trans-dimensional portal final final? <laughs> trans-dimensional final final one? V2, Kingpin comments, round three. <laughs> it would be Fisk comments. It would be Fisk. Fisk version three. All right, let me turn on track changes. Um, <laughs> oh, or is he a Sharpie kind of guy? I get the feeling like he would print it out and deliver, <laughs> hand deliver it to her. Yeah, I don't think he reads his email. Someone prints it for him. Yeah. Or just summarizes it and then he just comes in when he needs to. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. What I what I love about that scene too is it's it's an expert way of showing us tone and stakes and remembering that yes you can make a joke about them but a joke deflates but you somehow have to keep the stakes there. You can't get rid of the threat because a joke would deflate the threat completely. When I'm thinking about it, specifically that scene that you were talking about where they're overhead, they're in the vent, and they're watching, um, she starts talking about the um, what's going on. She's like, hey, if we fire again, there's going to be a black hole under Brooklyn. Look at this. This is the problem. And you get, you cut back to the two Spider-Men in, in the vent. And Peter Parker just does blah, blah, blah hands, like uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> this is pretty standard Spider-Man's takes. So you get used to it. Watch this. He's going to say, you've got 24 hours. And then Kingpin says, you've got 24 hours. And then Spider-Man winks <laughs> at Miles, like, look. And then she says, uh, she has another line. And then Spider-Man says, oh, that's bad. And then has to bring, bring the stakes back. Uh, actually, everything she said is bad. I was just lying before. Like, <laughs> he's like, no, no, this is actually terrible. This isn't just like basic Spider-Man stuff. This is awful. Mr. Fisk, if we fire again this week, there could be a black hole under Brooklyn. You see this in this? This is multiple dimensions beginning to crash into each other. This is pretty standard Spider-Man stakes. You get used to it. Watch this. He's going to say, you've got 24 hours. You've got 24 hours. What this means is there could be a rupture in the space-time continuum. Ooh, that's bad. Actually, everything she said was bad. I was lying before. Yeah, this this little mini scene speaks to how you write something that's engaging and unique. Because if you just look at the bare bones of what it does, like, here are the stakes. It's a heist. They're observing, like... A hundred movies do this. What makes it unique and interesting is how Spider-Verse does it. It's like, what are, how are these characters who are unique reacting to the stakes of what's happening? What are the little background details that are happening? How do we stay focused on what's key here, but also add flair to the writing? Um, which I guess is, is me saying like, even if your plot looks like a standard skeleton, like each human is still unique. We all share the same skeleton, more or less. Like hmm. what's on top of the skeleton is what makes that memorable. Your plot can be completely ripped off of something else, and that's okay. Because the expression of it is, if not as important, more than important, your unique way. And I think that's what we all we're reacting to when we first saw this is it is that reaction. We do expect Spider-Man 
to go blah, blah, blah as the villain's talking because he knows what this is all about. But there's a second side to this, which is it's the Spider-Man that we know in some way. You know, I would say like 80% the Spider-Man we know in Peter B. Parker. Um, trying to train a Spider-Man that not everybody knows mm-hmm. is out there. Some people only know Spider-Man from animated films or animated series or the live action series. So many, many people do not know Miles Morales. And so this is their first introduction to who he is. And in the scene, in the context of this, this is Miles' first understanding of what it's going to take to be Spider-Man. This is his first taste. He's wearing a Spider-Man Halloween costume to look like the image of Spider-Man that we all know. And really, it's an ill-fitting costume. And he's, it does not suit him, so to speak. <laughs> he's going to have to find something that does suit him, his own version of being Spider-Man that he has to find. And right now, playing the, the same way as Peter Parker isn't going to get him through. Mm-hmm. And it's all there visually it is <laughs> it's just so good i don't i just keep reliving it in my head as we t- discuss it i know it doesn't help that i just rewatch the whole thing like i just keep thinking about how good it is just how <laughs> satisfying of a movie it is on every level i always i keep thinking that i have something more to contribute and then i just get my brain gets distracted thinking about other things and uh. <laughs> Anywho, so we have this observation scene, and then immediately after they observe this conversation, Kingpin and Liv leave the room, and then we get the beginning of, like, the real Liv scene. They're in the room where the scene happens, per se, if you will. <laughs> um, so Peter and Miles come down, and they do some light spy work in the lab. Uh, do we get anything new and interesting out of this? Well, we get two things. As they're coming out of the lab, we get our first clue. Well, our first, like, two clues about who Liv really is. There is a mechanical arm on her desk. Which we also saw earlier in the movie, like, the very beginning in the opening. Yeah. When Peter One Parker is doing his, like, for the last time, here's how, here's who I am. Mm-hmm. And it's a, we miss it again. Like, I didn't notice it until this time rewatching it. Like, I've seen it three times. And this time I was like, oh, because I paused it. Because it goes by so quickly. And you're watching Peter and you're watching Miles. Like, you're so grounded in what they're going through emotionally that you're ignoring the physical space in some ways. There's octagonal lights. So yeah, oct, you know, oct, eight, something with eight sides to it is, you know, is in here. Um, so it's starting to, to work with it there. And then Miles has his typical Miles problem, which he gets stuck. He can't release um, and let go. So... Um, Spider-Man's not just about climbing walls. It's about being able to leave walls and, <laughs> and being able to let go and, and take that adventure on. And uh, one of my favorite shots is he's shaking up there. The whole light's shaking. And it's like, oh, my God, you're going to get found out. And you cut to the hallway where Kingpin and Liv are talking out in the hallway. Like, I just need more time. I just... You know, I'm, I do want to do this. And you just see in silhouette the light shaking, Miles just stuck to it, and Peter Parker just shouting from above, from below at the desk, like, come on, like, you have to relax. How do you relax? And he does his singing. <laughs> I can't believe this. You know, it's just the reaction of... 
I can't believe that's what he does, but that's who he is. <laughs> and that's how he relaxes himself. And his fingers start peeling from it until he falls and crashes. And you know that Liv is going to hear them. Like, mm-hmm. this is going to cause a problem. And then for all you spider spider fans out there, you get the you get a lovely payoff of the Spider-Man desk meme. <laughs> it's just here you go. Here's a here's a rhyme of the Spider-Man desk meme. It's not it exactly, but it's a lovely rhyme to it. This movie is a little bit of everything Spider-Man in it for anyone. You're gonna find it. <laughs> Even if you Did just you? know it from the internet. <laughs> and then we get our first sense. Because up until now, Liv seems like, I hope we're not being derogatory by saying a crunchy granola person. I, I mean that with love because I have many of those folk in my life sphere. I would consider um, myself a crunchy granola person, so I'm identifying <laughs> with them. Yeah, my wife eats granola. Um, so <laughs> she, for the first time, Liv seems dangerous. They do this shot of her. She hears the crash. They zoom into her face. And the look on her face, um, the first time we get an idea of this is a villain. This is, we keep thinking that she's a good hearted nice, friendly scientist who maybe is in over her head, who said yes to the kingpin. You know, like, you know the ones that, you know, the, the villain is this bad guy and they're just a scientist who got caught trying to do the right thing and they got taken. There are any number of movies like that where the, like, I didn't want to do this and it got corrupted and the f- person funding it is actually this villain. Yeah, you're Mr. Smithers' character. Yeah. I didn't want to do this. This I didn't want this for me. But then you get this idea of, like, oh, wait. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> who is she? She keeps <laughs> claiming that's her reactor. She's taking ownership over it. So she must know what it's about, kind of. And And now she gets this look. And now we move into... Um, where the danger really builds. Um, But we get a, before that, we get a nice play around with Miles disappearing where he has a brand new power, where we get to see him, uh, his fight or flight response. This is what's special about him. You know, he has a camouflage power. And it's also cool that it's character-based course like yes all he wants to be is invisible in some ways he doesn't want to be great he just wants to be invisible and do his own thing live arrives and you get your comedy of miles disappearing pop yeah (laughs) and he the first time that he can control his powers like boom i'm gone i'm not here (laughs) um and Peter tries to give him the password, which we take the, we're in Miles's perspective, and we just get numbers and letters thrown at us <laughs> at, about the password. I don't know about you, but I got stressed trying to remember it. Oh, yeah, I had, I had some PTSD flashbacks there. Because um, it's not <laughs> like a standard movie password. Like, the password is his ex-wife's name, 23. Uh, like it's at least 16 digits long of like numbers and letters dollar sign three five yeah it's all it's all in there you're like oh my it's a password like it is a (laughs) password and then we have Peter says he's going to turn on the charm he's going to try to charm her because I guess that's his personal bias it's a it's a woman so he's going to be all Spider-Man and charm her. And um, Liv's demeanor changes. 
and we start our uh, other again. It's subverting the expectation that we just had. She's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Oh no, she's a friendly doctor. She's probably just misunderstood. Um, she says you're supposed, but Spider Man, like you're supposed to be dead. She <laughs> she pulls up the mask right away. Like who who are you actually? And, well, see, I love that because you can see it. If you as an audience member would believe like, oh, she's just a crunchy good old scientist. That's it. Like that would be her reaction. Like you're supposed to be dead. What's going on? Are you real? You're not faking. You have the same face. That's weird. But if you look at it from her perspective as a villain who suspects that perhaps another Spider-Man came in from another dimension and you look at her as knowing that right away, you can see she's operating on another level of getting exactly what she wants constantly. She lifts up the mask to double check and like see who it is like, aha, Yes, this is you. I've made sure that you're a threat right away. Um, And then also forces him into the chair, basically, that she knows is going to be there. So she's always immediately getting what she wants in this scene by pretending she wants something else from him. Mm -hmm. Mm. But then she's getting that confirmation of what's happening to him because she sees the the decay of his cells. Mm-hmm. She sees that happening and she says, but you've been glitching, right? Um, which is the big danger. So we see some stakes for Peter Parker start to, sorry, Peter B. Parker to start getting um, dangerous for him personally. And he tries to put on a, a friendly Spider-Man face. Where he's the, I just love that goofy smile. He's like, what glitching? What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. And as he, it's obviously this painful thing happening to his body. Um, and then the music changes. And you get like the villain one note, like string intensifying building tension song <laughs> going on. Uh, she says, you know, you're having you're going to disintegrate if you stay here. Do you know how painful that's going to be? And you're just like, wait, wait, something's happening here. And then the line, and I, for one, can't wait to watch. Silence. It's this nice moment to breathe that in DuckTales would be the, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for bringing that in, because that's exactly what it is. Oh, it's a Spider-Man. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) And then the, what did you say your name was? Dr. Olivia Octavius. Stands up. We see her legs. Lab coat drops to the ground. Then cut to her back, and there they are. Four beautiful robotic arms. Soft robotics, because it's a different universe. Yeah, I love that this was not just a female take on Doc Ock, but that it was a unique interpretation with like the soft robotics arms. And after those tentacles come out... We cut back to the front of her and she switches her glasses with one of her tentacles and the glasses turn green and you're like, oh, there's, yeah, there's no get, there's no second guessing. That is Doc Ock. What did you say your name was? Dr. Olivia Octavius. Friends call you Doc Ock? My friends actually call me Liv. My enemies call me Doc Ock. <laughs> it's just such a dumb joke. It, it's classic it. Spider-Man Doc Ock banter. It's like, ha you think you're clever Spider-Man. You're not my friend. <laughs> it's like not getting the joke whatsoever. <clears throat> Fantastic. And then Spider-Man's like, get out. This is, I got this handled. This is Spider-Man, Doc Ock stuff, and you're not Spider-Man yet. Just go. Mm -hmm. And we get a really cartoony fight as they start the escape. We have an invisible 
miles running out with a computer and monitor. <laughs> <laughs> and we have Peter B. Parker hitting walls, every glass wall. Like, I got this handled. I got it handled, buddy. I got it. You know, don't worry about this. Don't worry about me, essentially. <laughs> and then um, we meet Gwen here. She's trying to do her own break-in. I don't know if she's a an intern there or... I can't remember if she's an intern. Was she interning there? I don't or think so, this? but my interpretation of this watching is she's, of course, seen the... Uh, uh, the documentary at the beginning that was in the class that she and Miles shared uh, at the high school. And so she has seen Liv's name from before Miles walked in and obscured the last name. So I assume she was Eric. She's like, ah, that's who Doc Ock is in this dimension. I have to go here to take the thing and get the goober. Mm-hmm. And get it taken care of. And I love one little banter that I got from a re- another rewatching which was Peter just like still ta- trying to talk to Miles. Like, okay, this is a little bad. And then uh, Liv says, you're chatty. <laughs> I just love her. Yes. Little, you're chatty. <laughs> it's just, he's, she has no idea that Miles is there. So it's just to, yeah, to, the, the, <laughs> to her. The, the dead Spider-Man, the Chris Pine voice Spider-Man, in addition, is just like this, noble angelic hero and then you have i think jake johnson yes doing this spider-man so in addition just like yeah talking to him the invisible miles and having a lot of chattiness <laughs> it's also just he strikes you as the chattier bantier spider-man that you have in a fight whereas other spider-man might be more like quiet and like heroic in a fight and not like try to have a conversation with his enemies and I do love this scene because it's all out wildness with the arms. Like this is a really dangerous version of Doc Ock. Like the arms are everywhere. You start to see that it's not just a little mechanical thing. It's while well, one is doing, you have to watch all four of them because two may be mo- moving her around and then two are going to be after you. Um, you can't second guess. And most of the shots are on the arms and not on her. So she has the distance to get you. Um, we do get one lovely moment of, of comedy. I mean, we've had comedy throughout, but we get another moment that of levity, which is, let me tell you the good news. We don't need the monitor. He chucks the monitor away like... <laughs> Look, this is good. And then he immediately gets hit with another arm. And now we know that this is going to be an even rougher fight because of how they're getting away. And she's just constantly either you're they do see these really great shots where you see the distance away, but you get the perspective of how close those tentacles are. So they're either right up to the screen or they're far so you can see how long they are in terms of in distance it's mm-hmm. it's really impressive i did hear when they were animating it they had to do it each arm in a different color so they could <laughs> identify which arm was which because it was just arms flailing so they had to know <laughs> is this the top left one is this the bottom right one like they had a while they were animated it had to be different colors I would believe that it's it's a lot going on in these shots, and this chase is the thing where it really gets into the uh, just design wise. What I think is so fascinating about the scene of the different textures, which you don't really get a lot of anime movies, animated movies, but there's a lot of different textures happening. The soft snow that just looks fun to crunch in. There's mm. like the soft robotics arms. Uh, you get the trees that don't really behave cartoonishly for the most. For the most part, the trees are immovable or maybe like bend a little bit when they get hit, but they don't like squash and stretch unlike the characters and everything else happening. Yeah, it's very graphic and still like you still feel like you're in a panel of something. Mm-hmm. They don't move. There's no wind, you know, as they as a Spider-Man swing by, you don't get branches following them. You know, they're 
their movement is separate. And I think it allows them to be at the forefront of it. It allows you to follow their movement so not everything is on the same level and of the same importance. They, what's going on between the two of them is prioritized. So what else do we want to say as this wraps up? Uh, is there anything else that we get that marks this as a, as a final moment or is, that tells us that this sequence is coming toward its end? I think, of course, to get away from Liv and that kind of bookends that, but Liv wasn't in the beginning of the seats. How you like bookend this scene for our main characters is, of course, that they are thwipping and he gets, Miles gets his first real lesson of Spider-Man from Peter B. Parker as they're escaping with the monitor between them, firing their web slingers like in unison and swinging from tree to tree. It's just like this nice father-son mentor moment that you were told at the beginning you were not going to get. And then you ultimately do get that because everything went wrong. Hmm. And the other nice moment that I really enjoy is that they do introduce Spider-Gwen here right away. Um, and it's just like this, rather than like drawing out this logic leap of like, if Doc Ock can be a woman, why can't Spider-Man be a woman? Uh, you instead just get right away like, oh yes. And here's a female Spider-Man, Spider-Person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think she goes by Spider-Gwen. She goes by Spider-Woman. Spider-Woman. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I do like that when we get her backstory before, she, after she's pulled into the vortex, there's a robotic Doc Ock arm that clangs after her. Yeah. So it's like, whether that's a man, whether that's a woman, we don't know, but it's the arms that we were used to and expecting. So it's yeah, like, they're look, very Spider-Man 2 in design. Yes, very much so. Like it's, it's the Doc Ock that you were expecting in those arms. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so much of this movie deals with us be, both being on the journey with Miles and being on the journey as Miles in terms of having our expectations subverted and also paid off. Because <laughs> as, as he says at the beginning of this scene when he's left behind, he's like, why did I get stuck with this homeless hobo Spider-Man? Like, middle-aged hobo Spider-Man or whatever he says. Like, I, uh, that's not the Spider-Man I want. Mm-hmm. But it is the Spider-Man he needed, mm-hmm. you know. It is the father figure. It is, and Peter says it, you know, you, me, me the, the older, wiser teacher who could still do it, and you, the student who can't do it as well. You know, it's, it's all right there, like... Um, which does come back at the end when they're facing Liv. He saves her from Liv. He saves Miles from Liv. Or no, he's saved from Liv by Miles. And then uh, he says, I love you. You're, you did it. And he says, do I want kids? <laughs> like this, <laughs> yes. this moment of that payoff of this relationship. Like, we're so, cl- I'm so close to you. Like, this is... This is what it's about, this whole relationship between the two of us. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we get the payoff of a, the live joke that's planted where at Aunt May's house, Aunt May, uh, Liv crashes through and Aunt May says, oh, great, it's Liv. <laughs> Not, oh, no, it's Doc Ock. It's, oh, great, it's Liv. She's heard all the stories. She knows this is Liv. <laughs> <laughs> the world may not know, but Aunt May knows. <laughs> and just, I think we said about it before in our last discussion about Spider-Verse, but Lily Tomlin as Aunt May is just everything the world needed. Mm. That delivery is perfect. <laughs> is there anything that we want to say as we wrap up talking through this particular scene, as we deconstruct it? Uh, I just have one more thing that I'll put in my favorite thing, and then I'm good. Okay. You said you so, have one more thing? Yeah, for my favorite thing. Oh, well, yeah. then then give that. So my favorite thing. 
Uh, so I think favorite thing is going to be um, concluding what I was talking about earlier about the bagel runner. Mm. Uh, the bagel is just such a magical moment of the scene. There's nothing to do with the live reveal. And we're talking about this scene, the live reveal, because it is our favorite thing in general. Um, so to pick a specific moment that's kind of tangential, unrelated, it's the bagel runner of at the beginning, step six, get a bagel. You plant that idea that a bagel is going to come in. And as they're escaping through the cafeteria, much later in the scene, everything looks bad. Peter B. Parker just goes, well, yeah, this is bad. Uh, selecting a bagel. And he reaches over to a bagel tray. <laughs> and all the scientists in the cafeteria turn out to be evil henchmen with their own guns and stuff as well. And they all shout to go after them and chase as an angry mob. And you have someone shout, he stole a bagel. <laughs> like, that's the worst thing that could have happened for this evil science corporation. Um, just everything about the bagels, just a nice line throughout the story that encapsulates everything that's happening. And then there's, it goes one step further where they leave. He throws the bagel. It hits a henchman and the line you know how normally it says like pow or zap or yeah, dab you get like or whatever. The Batman pow. It says it says bagel. The guy <laughs> got bageled. Like that's what the that's what the text says when he gets hit with the bagel. It's just bagel. It's the sound a bagel makes when it hits a head is bagel. Bagel. I mean, it is worth noting as well that Peter B. Parker is the Jewish Peter Parker. So grabbing a bagel on the way out does make sense. Is that canon? Is that a thing? Well, in the movie, yeah. They show him getting married to Mary Jane. and Oh, right. They yes, have the glass. Stumps on the glass. Stumps on the glass. You are correct. I forgot about that. And so, I just watched the whole thing and you didn't. That stuck with you. It did stick with me because I was like, <laughs> that's different. It's different. It's, it's cool. Uh, so what was your favorite thing, Chris? Oh, I feel like there's so much. I think... For me, it's just the the delivery of all the really important throwaway lines. Like everything is a throwaway line to Jake Johnson. And I love that because it is just, it brings the stakes, but it also undercuts it. So let's undercut the undercut. Let's talk through, like this is just standard stuff. No, this is really bad. This is probably the worst thing that can happen. Just. That kind of throwaway thing is is just my my favorite. I just love that, and the fact that it's a double double undercut. It's just chef's kiss. That's just wonderful. Well, now that we have English majored the crap out of these nine minutes of Spider Verse, <laughs> shall we talk homework time? Yes, let's. For next time, your homework is the complete opposite of this one, where we really dug in deep to nine minutes. Next time, we're going to glaze over some of the best animation of this year in a single episode. Uh, we're going to talk about the Emmy nominations for animated program and short form animation. So if you are able and can find everything, please check out for next time the episode of Big Mouth, Disclosure, the movie, The Musical on Netflix. Check out Bob's Burgers, Pig Trouble and Little Tina. Um, aired on Fox or in the Fox Now app. Um, Bojack Horseman, The View from Halfway Down on Netflix. Rick and Morty, The Vat of Acid episode, available presumably through the Adult Swim app or something like that. Uh, the Simpsons, Thanksgiving of Horror from Fox. And then for short-form animated program, check out Forky Asks a Question, What is Love on Disney+. Plus. The Robot Chicken Short, Santa's Dead, Spoiler Alert, Holiday Murder Thing Special. And um, more Steven Universe homework, Steven Universe Future Fragments. As always, thank you to Jacob Reed and the Champagne Drops for our theme music. Thank you to Nigel Coutinho, our sound engineer. You can find us on Twitter at WG Animated or at writersgetanimated.podbean.com to check out all of our show notes. Um, and you can find Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse on Netflix. But why would you? Because, of course, you've bought it and owned it at this point. Did I tell you my birthday story from last year? No. 
this is really funny, and then we'll say goodnight, but I knew that I wanted to get Spider-Verse for myself for my birthday, but I also knew that my TV was substandard for watching Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So a week before my birthday, I bought myself a new TV specifically so I could watch Spider-Verse when I bought it for my birthday. Well done. Have not looked back. (laughs) I mean, sometimes when you love a piece of content so much, it is worth hundreds of dollars. I've done that. I get it. Uh, Can't wait for the sequel. Good night, everybody.